practical book in the Bible. If you have a hard time reading the scriptures, and if you have a hard time understanding what God might be trying to say to you, a lot of people say, turn to the book of John, and I'm not going to dispute that. But if you turn to the book of James, and you just start reading, the first thing he says is, is you have trials and temptations. You have struggles in your life and battles that you face, and, and I want to help you through them. And, and I think we all can connect with that kind of reality that you and I face in life. And so we're going to look at James this morning. We're going to be reading James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18 together. You'll see that up in the screen here in a minute. James chapter 1, verses 16 through 18 is what the word of the Lord has for us today. Scripture says, Do not be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits for all that he has created. May the Lord add his blessing to the word today. Friends, if we've journeyed through the book of James together, it's been very evident that James was writing to a group of people. He was writing to a church that was going through a lot of pain. They were going through a lot of suffering. They were going through a lot of trauma and a lot of trial. And from what we can study of their history, um, they were run out of their homes for their faith. They were separated from their families because of their faith. They were threatened with the loss of employment because of their faith. Sometimes they had to stand and watch as they threatened the lives of their children. Give up your faith or give up your kids, and they had to make a choice. And the kind of agony and grief and pain and shock that these people went through for many of us is so extreme that it almost seems trivial to compare what we go through with what they were enduring. Yet we read in the Scriptures that God understands exactly what we're going through. And he cares about us so much that he wants us to bring our burdens and our trials and our lives to him. And so James comes at us in the beginning of his book with just the simple realization that life is a struggle. Life is a battle. It can be flat-out war for your life and in mine. And it is something that we have to, to understand, like we talked about a couple of Sundays ago. It's something that we have to see as reality that we live in a battle. We live a life that is at war with the enemy. And if we understand it that way and we think about it as a serious connotation for the decisions that we make, then the Lord has some fertile ground for us to work on in our own heart and in our own life. And so James takes time again in this passage. He's kind of winding down his discussion about the trials and temptations that we face, and, and he comes at it with a little bit of theology. And I, I didn't promise you, but I kind of I kind of encouraged us as we started this book that this, this is not a book that is steeped in theology. There's theology there, and there's a lot of truth there, but, but this is practical stuff about watching the way we talk and, and being able to look into a mirror and see something and then do something about it and just really common, simple things to understand. But in this passage, James just kind of kind of exalts himself to a discussion about the, the goodness of God, which is what we want to talk about a little bit this morning together. And so in order to do that, James has a little bit, a short discussion about the goodness of God and who God is and the way God operates as we work through this uh, smaller passage today. And it's not going to be a seven and a half minute sermon like it was last Sunday with all the other things that we were doing. Um, but we're going to just quickly look at a few things that James was trying to talk about in this passage. And the first one you see on the screen, that James was, first of all, attempting to dispel a lie. You see it in that passage. He says, do not be deceived. Knew not by the lie. 
But he doesn't follow that in the words of the text by saying what that was. You've got to look at the context and then what came before it. And what came before it was the idea that God was responsible. God was to blame for the things that were going wrong in our life, specifically that God was the one who tempts us. And James says, no, that's not the way it works. God cannot be tempted, nor could he ever tempt anyone. And then later on in the book, he talks about who does tempt us. But James said, was writing to a church who has been sold a lie. Have you ever been sold a lie? Anyone ever lied to you? Anyone? Anyone? Oh, come on, the rest of you. Come on, every, everyone raise their hand. All of us have been lied to at one time or another. Maybe you're that gullible and you just believe everything you hear. It might be that way too, and I'll pray for you and the people around you. But, but the fact of the matter is that there are lies out there everywhere. And James is fact-checking this very particular um, mistruth that was being spread around these people. And I think it's human nature when, when life gets tough and wrong goes from, from worse to even more worse that it is sometimes in our human nature to turn our heart towards God and say, why are you doing this to me? Or why are you making this happen? Or why are you allowing this happen? And very quickly we turn to this, this false notion that God is to blame for all of our problems. And James says, don't buy into the Satan's lie that the things that are happening wrong in your life are, are to be placed upon the shoulders of God. Don't buy that lie. I think sometimes that, that the, the things that we hear and the messages that our hearts hear are a little bit like the political uh, posts on Facebook. And, and I, have, I, have, I have sworn silently to myself never to make a political post on Facebook ever because I want you all to be my friends, amen? I do, I really do. And I have a couple of times stumbled in my verbal speech and, and thankfully we haven't made enemies, but we had to correct a couple of things and you still love me, right? And I still love you, and we're all going to go on. But I am not posting anything about politics on Facebook. I know that I responded to one person's political post and said, basically, I agree with you. And that's about as far as I went. But if you read other people's posts, and some people love to post about politics on Facebook, and we still love them, right? Right? We still love them. We know that they need maybe a little bit of wisdom, but... So you, you see a post on Facebook and, and, and a lot of people like, that's the gospel right there. Man, that's, that's true. But then you get that one person on there, I guess I have to be the fact checker here, right? And they post the link, you know, fact check 101. You know, everything that you put on your original post is a lie. And here's the truth, right? We've all seen that. And, and I just, I was like, man, where's the post about fishing? I want to read about that or, you know, whatever it is. But, but then you have someone who facts check the fact checking and it just gets out of control. And, and that's, that's our human nature sometimes is we just caught up in this circle of misinformation and, and it's hard to know what's really true in our world today. And it's hard to know what's really not true. And depending upon your level of interest in politics, you may have a lot of friends. You may not have any friends, <laughs> by the time you get done with your conversation. And that's why when I went to, I went to a barber in Ohio and she had a rule. She's like, you will not talk about religion or politics in my barber shop. And she had a lot of customers. It's one of those buttons. But we're fact-checking just once here this morning. The book of James is fact-checking this notion that God is to blame for all the problems, for all the temptations, for all the things that go wrong in our life. It can be sometimes our our decision that we make to blame God 
for what's gone wrong in our life. And James says, no, 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 no. Don't buy into that. In fact, everything that's good that you have, every little thing that has gone right in your life, every gift that you've received, every blessing that you have, every smile that you receive, every breath that you take, every meal that you eat is a gift from God himself, from the Father of lights in heaven. Everything that you have in your life that is good comes from him. Where do we hear that in our world today? We don't. We hear that your employer gives you your paycheck, and if they're a good one, they give you a retirement account. If they're a really good one, you have health insurance. You can go to the makeup store and and be beautiful. You can buy a vehicle and be cool. You can have the right clothes and be, you know, the Mac Daddy. And all these things you can go and do for yourself are the things that you think that you have that are good, and, and you may look better driving a nice truck. And if you come and you go to your job interview with holes in your jeans and one of your sleeves torn off, you know, it may not go well for you. But the fact of the matter is the things that we have in life that are good, all, James says, come from God himself. And the lie of our world is that we can do it ourselves, we grab it ourselves, we make it happen ourselves, and there's a lot of that that is true. If you want a job, you're going to have to work for it, right? If you want to work your way up in your career, you're going to have to discipline yourself. And and there's a lot of things that God calls us to do. But the things that we have as natural beings, the things that bless us and touch us and move us and cause us to move in right directions are only coming from God himself. And James says, don't buy the lie that they come from any other way. Going back to the very beginning, the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, God's made his creation. The animals, the plants, the oceans, the rivers, the stars in the sky and the sun and the moon in heaven. And all this has been done. He's created. And you know the story. He takes a deep breath. Just like after you've had like steak and mashed potatoes. I mean, ah, man, you know that, don't you? I mean, you know that feeling. And he just looks at it all and he says, it was very good. God himself has proclaimed the gifts that he gives us to be perfect. We sang about it this morning. He's a perfect God. All that he does, in all of his ways, God is perfect and pure. And the lie of the enemy is to, is to, to transplant a lie into our hearts. That God is out to get us. That God is trying to take away our fun. That God wants to ruin our futures. And I think a lot of us here this morning have had times in our lives where we've, we've battled that, that voice. God might make me go to Africa God might make me to sing in church or God make me to do this or God, I, I, never, I never worried as a kid that God would make me a preacher because I was scared to death of speaking in public. Sometimes God freaks you out and does something totally out of the ordinary. Ordinarily, God just leads you step by step as you walk with him. And every step that you take is a gift. Every breath that you take is a gift. Every star that you see, I don't know how many stars we're going to see for the next eight months in Vancouver, but when you see them, they are a gift from God. Every drop of rain that comes down from heaven is a gift from him. All I mean, telling you what, if you start counting your blessings and you name them one by one, it will surprise you. That sounds like a song to me, doesn't it? I'm not going to sing it for you. Those of you who know me, that was funny. The rest of you don't know. You don't want to know, trust me. (laughs) James says, get your facts right. Get your head right. 
Get your heart right. That The things that you have in this life, there is a God in heaven who could never change, and he never will be able to change. He can't even start to begin to change. He will always be a good and perfect God. And I could, I this morning could have pages, reams of pages of Bible verses about the goodness of God and how wonderful and pure and holy he is. If you want to know how merciful God is, turn to Psalm 136. You want to know how God is with you in a difficult place, you all know Psalm 23. Over The Bible is filled with descriptions of how good God is to us, how tender his mercy is for us. And he has planned every good and perfect thing for our enjoyment today. You know God created you to enjoy life. All right, let's try that again. Everyone awake now, let's try that again. Do you know that God created you to enjoy life? Amen. Amen. All right, very good. All right, well, maybe we got a little bit out of point number one. We'll see. Another thing that we want to talk about this morning is that he, he was trying to dispel a lie, and we kind of already jumped into this already, but he also talked about discussing the goodness of God. He says, don't buy the lie. God is this amazing Father in heaven who could and never will change. He will always be good and perfect and pure in every way. And he sends down these gifts from above who will never change like the shadows that turn. And he chose us to be his own creation, his own beautiful manifestation of his love and who he was. I don't have reams of pages of Bible verses about the goodness of God, so will you let me share just three? Just three this morning that talk about the goodness of God. First Timothy chapter four, verse four says, everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Can I tell you that sometimes you and I buy the lie that we are, that we are bad? Now we make, may make bad choices, but it doesn't mean that God hates us. It doesn't mean that he's written us off. It doesn't mean that he's cast us aside. It means that he loves us more than he's ever loved us before. And there can be a lie that we buy into in our own life that we are bad and we aren't worthy. And in many ways, the Bible says before we were even born, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In one way, we don't deserve his love, but he loves us unconditionally and he always will. And everything God created is good. You in your place today, right where you are, is a wonderful, beautiful display of God's miraculous creative genius. God was a genius when he created you. Can I just say that to you again? God and his genius made you just the way you are right now. He may not want to leave you the way you are, but right now, just as you are, you are worth dying for. And that's exactly what he did. That's exactly what he did. Everything that God created is good, and nothing should be rejected. Psalm chapter 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I want to ask you this morning, how do you taste and see that the Lord is good? For those of you who've gone to church to a long time, one of the ways that is potluck, amen? I mean, that's just the Christian thing to do. You get those tables lined up together, and I mean, I got to tell you, if you're new to First Friends, and I hope they haven't disappointed me this morning, but from my first Sunday here, the dessert table is just as big or bigger than any other table in the church. And I'm thinking, taste and see that the Lord is good, right? I think that if you put all that sugar together, it'd be a whole lot more than this. That table hopefully is longer than the state measure, but we'll see 
how that goes. There, is, there are so many ways that we can taste and see that the Lord is good, but the greatest way we can taste Him is to know Him as our own Lord and Savior, as a, the one who has delivered us and saved us from our own sin, from our own decrepit decisions and lifestyle, and we need to taste and see. There's a lot of people out there that want to give opinions about God. There's a lot of people that want to fact-check the Bible, but until they taste Him, they'll never know how good he really is. But when you surrender your heart to him and welcome him in, you know the kind of purity and love and joy and peace that can only be found in knowing God as Lord and Savior of all. One more verse. Psalm 107 verse one says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good and his love endures forever. There's a lot of messages out there about God. But if we could understand one thing this morning about this passage in James, that God is his nature. The Bible says he's what? He's love. The Bible says that he is holy. And in that love and holiness, he can only be one thing to us, and that is good. In all that he does, in everything that he says, everything that he speaks to us about is meant for our blessing and for our encouragement. And we could go on and on and on in the Bible about the, about, about the goodness of God. Can I encourage you this week? Uh, who all gets on Google or Yahoo or whatever? Come on, the rest of you, raise your hand. Come on, come on. All right, almost all of you. Now we're getting closer there today. We'll get your exercise in one way or the other today. I just want you to go home this week sometime and Google search Bible versus goodness of God and hold on. And hold on as you read through those passages. And just let, your, let the Lord speak to you. Let the Lord touch your heart with how much he loves you. Let the word of God speak to you that over and over and over and over again, God has this message for you that he he loves you and he has planned a life of goodness for you because it is who he is. And lastly, you see on the screen, there has to be a decision that you and I make in this life. The goal of those political Facebook posters is not just to share their opinion. They want to change yours. And the scriptures don't just want to declare the message of God and then all of us go, huh, when does potluck start? Although some of us are thinking that, come on, whether we want to say it or not. The Bible is written for us to make a decision about what the words that are contained share with us. And the fact that God loves us and the fact, as we told the kids, that he so loved us that he gave the very thing that mattered most to him in order that we could have everlasting life beckons us to make a choice, beckons us to have a decision in our heart, beckons us to ponder, not just today in the past, but tomorrow and how we're going to live our life. And do we want to live our life buying the lie that God is out against us? What kind of life would that be? I, I, I just, I would be so burdened for someone to be living their life convinced that God hates them, convinced that God is trying to curse them, convinced that God has it out against them, because I know it's different. I know that he gave everything for me so that I could have peace in my heart. I know that he gave everything that he had in order for me to, to, to begin to ponder, just begin to ponder what eternity with him might look like. He did all that he's been able to do and will continue to reach out to me to help me to feel that call to a life everlasting. I would never want to spend a day in my life convinced that God had it out for me because the Bible is very clear that he will always be there for us no matter what.
This is what the Bible says Jesus was, was doing as he considered our condition. Philippians 2, chapter 6, verse 8. We'll close with this in a short story and we'll be done. The Bible says, Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or to use to his own advantage. Like most people with power do, use their power for their own benefit, for their own good. They're good to themselves. They take care of number one. The Bible says that's not Jesus. He left all of that for you. Rather, he made himself nothing. I mean, he bottomed out by taking the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. That's how much he wants to show his goodness towards us. And we have to decide we're going to spend our whole life rejecting that greatest truth that could ever be told that Jesus loves us so much that he died so that we could have everlasting life, or we could accept that goodness and fill our life with the goodness that God has planned for us. I read a story this week by the name of John Gilbert. We'll close with this. John only lived at the age of 25 years old, and when he was five years old, he was diagnosed with um, Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. It was genetic, progressive, really debilitating, and, and just literally sucked the life right out of him. And by 25 years old, he passed away. Every year of his life, he lost more of his ability to talk, more of his ability to walk, and his motor skills digressed with every passing year. Eventually, he couldn't even speak any longer. But his family says there's a moment in John's life that stood out among every other moment. He was invited to an NFL League fundraising auction. And during the auction, he caught this glimpse of this um, NBA basketball signed by the entire team of the Sacramento Kings. It'd be like Sharon seeing the Portland Trailblazers ball signed by all the Blazers. It would be the thing that you focused on more than anything else. And there's something about that ball, he wanted that more than life itself. So they came down to the ball and they started the bidding. He started raising his hand. And his mom's like, no, we don't have that kind of money. You know, no, we can't do that. And, and, and uh, the bidding continued and finally he kept his hand down, and, and, and the basketball um, bids were just outrageous. I mean, they got higher and higher, way more than the, than the value of that basketball, even with all those signatures, would ever be worth. And finally, they got to the end, and the gentleman won the bid, and he stood up, and, and that was the end. That was the last item in bed, and he walked up to the podium and took the basketball, and he brought it over to John, who he never met before, knew nothing about and he placed that basketball in John's hands. No, John would never be able to dribble that ball down the court. He'd never be able to shoot a basket. He'd never make a free throw or even try one. But something happened in that moment that changed his life forever. Can I tell you, there wasn't a dry in the room. Gasps and amazement that this man would spend so much of his own money to give something good to someone who no one knew He'd never have a future like most of the people in the room would. He had so little to offer. Yet he was given this incredible gift from this man. Before he died, John wrote these words about his experience. He said, it took me a moment to realize what the man had done. I remember hearing gasp all around the room and then thunderous applause and weeping eyes. And to this day, I am still amazed, he wrote before his death 
Have you ever been given a gift that you could have never gotten for yourself? And has anyone ever sacrificed a huge amount for you without getting anything in return? Friends, that's what Jesus did on the cross for you and I. We could have never gotten that on our own. We could have never paid the debt for our own sin by ourselves. There's nothing good that we could ever do to deserve God's goodness to us. But because he loves us, he continues to hand us those basketballs. He continues to give us breath and life and a future and a hope because, because it's who he is. He's a good, good father, amen? It's who he is. And we are loved by him. It's who we are. It's the way God has wired this world. And James says, don't think of it any other way. And if you do, may the Lord help you to understand his love in your own heart and in your own life. All right, we're going to